0: We're glad you're listening.
1: I've had students that have been with us for a long amount of time, been in my home and opened God's word together. And then through social media or catching up with them, I learned that they've become atheist. I've had some that have become incarcerated. I've had some that have become Wiccan. I've had some that have become every letter of LGBT. And I have actually had one dear girl who committed suicide. This is the type of thing that we look at when we look forward to youth ministry. It's not easy for the faith to be transferred to the next generation. Even for the people who are in our midst, even the parents who are doing the right things. It is not guaranteed that once these teens leave our community that they're going to stick with the faith. So before you're incredibly bummed out and ready to just give up altogether and tell your kids they don't get to come to youth group, I do want to tell you there is hope. It's not as dark as it sounds, but there needs to be intentionality to what we do for a term that I like to call generation transfer. I don't know that I've come up with that term. I'm sure someone smarter did, but I'm at least going to hijack it for our talk today. We're talking about transferring the faith to the next generation. Sometimes wonder if this is kind of a similar conundrum that the people felt, our forefathers back in the 18th century when they're creating the nation. And there's this one song from Hamilton. Do we have any Hamilton fans out there? I knew you would raise your hands. No, I. Yep. The one song is haunting to me every time. It says this. Let me tell you what I wish I'd known when I was young and dreamed of glory. You have no control who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Every other founding father's story gets told. Every other founding father gets to grow old. But when you're gone, who remembers your name? Who keeps your flame? Who tells your story? And if that is an agonizing thing for the forefathers to think through, will this this idea of America go beyond our lifetime? I want you to imagine, as good as... The American dream is and, and the hope of a nation, the way of Jesus is so much more valuable. We are here because of 2,000 years of generation transfer, of people telling Jesus' story. And I'm here to tell you this the true marker of success for what we do here today as a community in this time will only be proved in 40 years out from now. From this group, who tells his story in 40 years? It's because of that, I believe the life of Joshua has so much to offer for us as we jump in. We're going to be looking at Joshua 4, but we're going to be looking all around Joshua 4. It's going to be fun to, to really just get like this huge comprehensive look of this one guy. And for some here... Um, Trust me, I'm a big fan of like exegetical verse-by-verse teaching. Uh, And we're going to get there, if you'll give me some patience to kind of give you the full picture of Joshua, because there was an incredible generation transfer that happened with the children of Israel who entered the promised land. There are some details maybe we left on the bone that we really haven't thought about, about the children of Israel taking hold of God's promise. So before we get too far, I just want to offer up our time and, um, yeah, invite God into the space. And Jesus, uh, we just ask that as we're looking at your redemptive plan and the Old Testament and the way you work among your people, I pray that I'll get out of the way, that your word will have its way and that we'll be able to just consider you, consider discipleship and just how to make the next generation 40 years from now love you even more than we could even force it to. It's in your name. Amen. Well, as the children of Israel were standing on the banks of the Jordan River, there was one body of water that was between them and what God promised. I want you to imagine the children of Israel, enslaved, wandering through the desert, and now they're coming to the brink of what God promised. This right here, I don't, we don't know the exact spot that they crossed, but Richard Hess actually believes that the spot they were trying to get across was 10 feet deep, 100 feet wide, during the flooding time. That's his best guess. In other words, you can't move everyone across. Joshua was leading a generation on the front edge of this generation transfer I want you to picture the people gathered around. The best guess is that there were somewhere around 2.5 million children of Israel who were entering the land. If you recall, because they disobeyed God, God said, You're going to wander for 40 years, and anyone 20 and above will not see the promised land. God had a little bit of a a purge (laughs) of the people who were too faithless to be able to go in. So the people standing on the banks here with Joshua. Many of them were first Israelite free people. Can you imagine that? Born in the desert. Some of them were second generation free people. Their parents were born in the desert, just like they were. And there was only a small remnant who could actually remember Egypt. A small remnant. The people here who Joshua was leading. As they're standing here on the banks, they never saw with their own eyes the ten plagues of Egypt coming out of the sky. They never saw the water part and then walk across the Red Sea. They heard the stories, though. The people here, maybe they lost family in Korah's rebellion when God dropped the hammer during the the time when they were worshiping the golden calf. They may have never known a house, probably, slept in a tent ate manna almost exclusively. But a lot of these people can remember Aaron's funeral and how it was rocked their nation. They can remember how they left Moses on Mount Nebo. It felt weird walking away from their leader. And now they look towards Joshua. I wonder what went into Joshua's life for him to be able to lead a whole generation of new followers of God. That's really what they were. Him and Caleb as the elder statesmen of the group. Well, as we look at Joshua's life, here's the first thing I want to do. We're going to take inventory of the ways that people invested in Joshua. But the challenge to us for this same way is to take inventory of the way people invested in you. People who invested in you over your life, the way of Jesus. Now, we have some information about Joshua that we know. First off, Joshua shows up in Numbers 11, and it says that Joshua was Moses' assistant from his youth. Do you know what that means? Moses was the first youth pastor. Who knew? Moses started off with a young apprentice. Think about that from his youth. Now we see. Joshua show up in the Battle of Amalek, which was, you know, him having authority leading people. He started to correct people when they were prophesying in the camp. Moses corrected him. In Exodus 24, Moses goes to meet with God to get the tablets. Who does he bring with? His young apprentice Joshua. Do You see what's happening here? Moses took time to say, "If this thing is going to last." We need to invest in the next generation. Joshua was with him. This leads me to the question before we move on from this. For those here in the room, here's my question. How have people invested in you and showed you the way of Jesus? What I want to do, I want to give you a chance to process. Maybe you, you, you're, you came with someone, you know, a spouse or a friend or something. You can process together. Maybe you just want to talk to someone around you. I want to give you a little bit of time to just process this, to really really evaluate in your life. Why are you here today? Why do you care about following the way of Jesus? Who are the people that helped make this happen? So I'm going to give you a few minutes to discuss, and then maybe a few people will share when we pass the mic. All right. I wonder if there is someone who'd be willing to share with the group. And I'm going to put a little bit of parameter on this. Can you share someone who is outside of your family that maybe you shared about someone who showed you the way of Jesus who poured into you? So I'll just wait for a hand to go up and then you need the mic. I can bring it to you. Yes.
0: Hi. Um, I would have to say that the people who invested in me the most were my parents. And it's an encouragement to all the parents here. um, Please remember that your first mission field is your kids. No matter what ministry you're doing outside the home, no matter what you're doing to serve the community, please remember that your kids were put in your home for a reason. And they are the ones that need your full all-out this is why God's important to me. And my mom and dad did, we were overseas. They were missionaries in, um, Ecuador and they made sure that I was, me and my brother were always a priority. They always, we read scripture together. They were my first house church and we, um, they just made it a point to make us feel valued and important so that we knew that when they went out and were preaching the word to the strangers or whatever, we knew what the message was. And that was, um, it made us feel valued.
1: Love that. You just preached the rest of my sermon for me. So that's amazing. We're going to get out earlier here, folks. Uh, maybe two more, one or two more. Yes. Uh so mine was also someone named Scott. Um I went to a church plant in uh, college, one of the so one of the founders of the the church plant. I had had some difficult things happen during high school. Um they created kind of a space where um they had a, a lot of people in the church who had kind of similar frustrations and so I was probably ready to leave the church and that kind of took the wind out of the sails a little bit of I'm frustrated and no one will talk to me. Um I've stayed in touch with um him since I moved to Pennsylvania, so this was probably like 15 years ago. Um, their church has continued to do a lot of work in like um, justice and race kinds of things. And so that's affected how I live out my faith um, today. I'm just kind of watching them from a distance, especially being a biracial family. So. Love it. Wow. So that came at a very critical time then. Wow. Love it. One more. Back here. When I was in a very bad place in my life, uh, J.R. came to me and spoke to me and saved my life. And he has been a figure in
0: my life ever since. And I love him dearly.
1: That is beautiful. I love that. I'm sure there are a lot of people in here who have people that, as you're thinking, you're like, well, the person's in the room here, so, you know, right? Like, this community does a great job of uplifting people and walking alongside people. And so many of us are here today because of what's been poured into us. And before we we really tackle the idea of passing it on to others, sometimes we need to be aware of how it's been passed on to us and the things that worked for us and the things that were important. Sometimes, maybe this little exercise, you realize, oh, wow, I had a lot of people. You know, maybe someone could mention a name, and you're like, wow, that was a person, even though they weren't trying, right? You ever have that person who's just, like, pouring Jesus out on you, and it's just what they do, second nature? Folks, this is some of the beauty that, that we see of being in a community, is, is that we have been invested in. So then my challenge to you then next is to make time to pass it on. Make time to pass it on. And it's something that is going to take time. I love the quote by Isaac Newton. It says, if I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulder of giants. And folks, we talk about discipleship a lot here. If we are standing on the shoulder of giants, we also want to be the shoulders that people stand on in following Jesus. And here's the thing, the difference between being a discipler and being a good example is intentionality. Have you ever thought of that? And good examples have their place, but when there's someone who pulls you aside and says, hey, at the cafeteria, we're going to be meeting weekly, that's intentionality. That's a commitment, and that goes very far. Folks, we need good examples, but we also need intentionality-driven disciplers who are going to carve out time, especially for those who are younger. I think of this incident all the time, When, when uh, this instance when, when Moses was in the tent of meeting. Can you imagine this? He had his own prayer closet outside the tent where it says that he would meet face-to-face with God and talk to him like a man, and that's incredible, and the whole nation would watch and be like, oh, he's going into the prayer tent. Here we go, the tent of meeting. Oh, what's going to happen? He's going to meet with God. Guess what? Read the end of this. It says this, and again, I, I gave away it here in verse 11. It says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. It's beautiful. Moses had an amazing intimacy with God. Do you know what the next part of that verse is? Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Can you imagine in this moment when Moses is before God, he's like, all right, thank you. I'm good to go. Joshua's like, no, you go. I stay. The dude was hungry. The dude was craving the presence of God, and Moses invited him in because he was going to be next in line. So now that we've done all that backstory, we see what has been invested in Joshua. We see that there are portions in Scripture where it's so clear that Moses had a plan for him, that, from a young age, he said, follow me. I'm going to show you how to follow God, how to lead people. But now in Joshua 3, Moses is dead, and it's Joshua's turn to lead this nation that was about to take hold of the promise. So verse 14, it says this. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at the flood stage all during the harvest, Yet, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarephan, while the water flowing down the Sea of Arabah, that is, the Dead Sea, was cut off. So the people crossed over opposite of Jericho. The priests who carried the ark of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. God did it again. He moved the water to get them out of slavery, and now he moved the water to get them into the promised land. How great is that? Imagine being one of the priests as you're standing in the middle of it, holding the ark. You have two million people going by. and You're just like, I really hope the water just keeps up. You know, I hope it stays back. God's promises were coming through, and they were coming through for this new generation, which is awesome. I don't know if you've ever seen the waters parted like that. Well, hold on. Don't let me get ahead of myself. We're going to jump to verse 4 of chapter 4. So this is it. Big moment. God came through on a promise. Joshua is leading, and the whole nation is looking to him. They're about to start battle at Jericho and start a lot of battles to take back what God had promised them. So this is a pivotal moment. This is what he does. When, and God ordered this. It says this, Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go before the ark of the Lord and go into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. The stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. God was in, or Joshua was enacting God's plan. This huge momentous moment. And instead of walking away and just being like, God, you're awesome. This was great. Well, see you later. God said, I want you to slow down. I want you to make them a memorial that is going to stand the test of time. So that way your kids in the future can look at it and say, hey, what's that about? And you can say, oh, you won't believe what the Lord did for us. And then grandkids and grandkids going ahead and saying, well, what's that about? You'll be, Oh, my great-great-grandfather told me that when they were about to take hold of the promised land, God split the water. Passing that on has always been the plan. Translating the actions and movements of God to the next generation has always been the plan. The older people living out the way, as we can say now on this side of the New Testament, the way of Jesus and how Jesus has changed our lives, we can now translate that to the next generation so that way they too can follow him in the same way of this 12 stones memorial. It's a point for us to draw a line in the sand and say, hey, I know your friends are wondering if God's real. Can I tell you why I know he is, what he's done in my life, the change in my life? I would be directionless without him. This is the moment. Articulating the ways of God to the next generation is the way that generation transfer happens. In fact, it's baked into Deuteronomy 6. A lot of us in this community have memorized Hero Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. And you go on and and what does God say here in verse 7? He says, "Hey, well, let me read the whole thing. It says, "The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. What's next? Impress them on your children." Folks, some of us, we, we get a little nervous where we're like, well, I don't want to force my kids, you know. I, I want them to follow Jesus, but, like, if I push too hard, they might repel. The word is impressed. <laughs> there's, there's pressure. There's, there's intentionality there saying, like, listen, like, get these words towards your kids. And that's not just for the parents. It's for the community. The nation of Israel is saying, hey, these things about God, we have to get them to the kids. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you drive your car, when you're waiting for them at their next practice, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your head. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house. The words of the Lord and the way he moves and the way he is active and alive, spread it everywhere. The people in your life who have told you the way of Jesus, who have just been constantly getting the way of Jesus out, be that for the next generation. Show them why they can be confident. Show them how God has changed your life and how He can do the same for them. I remember this professor. I I think his name's Professor Smith. Pretty common last name. And uh, I only had him for one class. He was kind of dry. Never really connected with him. But as I went into his office for something, for one of the harder classes in the major, it was Bible 350. Ooh, I know that sent a shudder down your spine. You're like, Bible 350? That sounds hard. It was. And I went to his class for something. And being the ADD bunny I was, I was sitting around, I was talking to him, just kind of looking at stuff, probably fidgeting with stuff on his desk. I don't know. I noticed over here in the cabinet, he had this like, this glass. Cabinet, like china cabinet thing. I don't know, looked a little out of place. But in there, he had these little painted rocks. And I was like, hey, Professor, probably last name Smith, what are these rocks about? And he said, these rocks are what my wife and I painted and wrote down all of the times we look back on our marriage how God moved, what God did, specific moments in our life where God showed up so we don't forget. It's based off of Joshua 4. And folks, that moment right there was way more impactful than anything I learned in his class. I don't even know the name of the class anymore. I don't remember his name. I remember the rocks. I remember him taking time to slow down and to say, I will not forget the things of God. So he and his marriage, they're articulating it to each other. Folks, we too can have that same approach. I've given you a lot of the bad news, right? I gave you research. I gave you stats. You want some more bad news? The way of God, of Yahweh, For the people of Israel, it was pretty good for that generation. And then as things went, we get to the book of Judges. If you know the book of Judges, it's it's all about wandering from God and then coming back because things are bad, but then it's wandering from God. The generation drift is a real thing. It's a thing we need to be mindful of, that we need to fight against by training our people well. Here's the good news. Number one. Research also shows there is a lot of hope. All of the research actually points us towards things that help teens have a faith that lasts beyond high school. Some of these things, I tried, to, I tried to find this one succinct list, but I don't know how you Google it. How to make sure your teen loves Jesus forever. Google. Nah, I don't know. But I want to go through some of the things that, that research is finding are the factors that help teens stick with the faith into adulthood. Here's the first one. This one is from Fuller Youth Institute. It's called the 5 to 1 ratio. Now, in youth ministry, if you have a small group, you need one leader for five teens, right? Well, they came in and said that the kids who stuck with the faith flip it. They can identify five adults who have shown them the way of Jesus well. Each teen can identify five adults Shown them Jesus well. Now it could be the youth group leader who's calling them up, who's who's meeting at the cafeteria with them. It could be that, but it could also be the 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 good godly couple that's at their house church that they talk to on a Sunday. Could be the 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 mom of a friend who is just a good follower of Jesus who asks them about their life. It doesn't have to be like five weekly disciples, one for every workday of the week. It means five people that they can look to. And say, wow, these people follow Jesus. I want to as well. That's one of the biggest factors. The next one is this serving in the church. Now, Doug, you're about to get a lot more chair movers after this, right? You know, woohoo, this is it. Let's go. No, but this is the idea. You can picture this. It's not just about showing up and consuming, it's being a part. And it's not about just doing menial tasks that they don't feel connected to the big picture. It's about teens feeling like their faith matters, and when they serve, when they do things, they're building the kingdom. Right? Like, it's one of those things where, you know, if if this is about you and your your Jesus-y experience and just kind of getting a good hit for the week, that's going to fade. If this is about you locking arms with people and building this thing together, Well, folks, it's going to be like this, but it's always going to be pointing up. The next thing is this, space to doubt. Folks, some of the first teens to walk away from the faith are the ones who have been served this this Christianity that says this is black and white, this is easy, and if God's not answering your prayer, it's because you have unconfessed sin. That's the only explanation, right? Like if this thing in Scripture, it means this, if it means something else, then They're wrong, right? Like, this. if we hand kids this idea that, like, the way of Jesus is just super easy and how are you not getting it, they'll throw their hands up and walk away. But when you give space to doubt and to say, ah, that is a tough question, then you're doing what Jesus did, right? We know Jesus didn't give straight answers. He asked a lot of questions. Space to doubt to wrestle is a place where teens are able to grow and to learn and to find their own godly solutions that are attached to the truth, but how to think, not what to think. And here's the final thing, intergenerational worship. The teens who stuck with the faith didn't have a catered to environment from birth through high school. They had spaces where they had to exist with adults. They had to be able to Share with adults. They were serving on teams with adults. They were in community groups that weren't just, you get to do your own thing. This is our adult time. It was intergenerational. These are some of the greatest factors that I found through research. I kind of agree with, like, well, I definitely agree with. I'm like, yeah, I think I can see that. These are the factors of teens who stick with the faith. And here's the last bit of good news. Renew has been doing this for over a decade, folks. I can't claim any of the 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 stability that I see in our teens. Like like this culture, I'm just glad to be a part of it. I wish I did a big job building it, but that when we look at this, so much of what Renew is lends itself for teens to own their faith as they move on to the next phase. Sometimes it's you have kids in here, right? Like, all right, let's be real. I have four kids in here. You know, a month ago, Esri discovered that her voice echoes and she can do it whether we're singing or listening to teaching. Just, ah! Looks around. Ah! Obnoxious? Yeah, maybe. But necessary for her to be part of the community. It would be so much easier to drop them off at the door and to be like, all right, you go to your kid time. This is our Jesus time. We're going to get our fix kid free. But the way that Renew has structured things for communion to be offered to the kids, for them to help serve, for teens who are able to pray in front of other people. I'm telling you, the things, as I look at that checklist, I'm super encouraged because I feel like Renew is way ahead of this curve and the rest of America is waking up. So I hope that's an encouragement to you because. There is a method to the process. There's there's a method to all of the madness. Why kids are with us in a lot of spaces, it's because we need them to catch it, and then someday they're going to be leading us. (laughs) Like, they're leading us now, but someday they're going to be all of our bosses. The dream is that someday Doug and Ben come to me, like, Johnny, you're cool and all, but we got these two people over here, students in this room right now, and I think they're ready for ministry, and can't you, like, go sell cars again or something, right? Like, the dream would be to replaced by the Joshuas coming up through the ranks who are ready to say, let's go. So this is what I'm going to do. I've gone long. I've talked a lot. Hopefully, you're encouraged and inspired. I'm giving you these last five minutes for this last slide. This is all about Taking these ideas home. Maybe you're here, you're a parent, and you're thinking through everything through the lens of a parent. Maybe you're not. These are the things that I want you to think through. So, if you're here as a parent, there are some questions here that you can wrestle through, maybe with your spouse, maybe on your own. There are some, uh, if you're here for everyone, maybe what you need to do is make your own 12 stones list. Uh, I have a list on my phone of my own 12 Stones experience where God showed up. It's because of Professor Probably Smith. Uh, I have a running list that I pulled out the other day. I was like, wow, I would have forgotten these had I not written them down. Maybe you need the space to do that too. Maybe you feel God saying, hey, I need to be a part of someone's five to one ratio. Doesn't mean you need to join youth ministry. We'll take you. You should definitely sign up and join youth ministry. But if it's not that, maybe it's just having more intentionality in house church with the younger ones that are around you. Maybe it's just by going with the friends of your kids and starting to introduce more Jesus or care into their life, right? Like, I don't know what it is. All I can tell you is this. I'm sorry, I forgot the picture. This is my favorite part of the whole thing. Can we go back to the picture? I myself have benefited. From the Renew community here. And it's because of someone we just launched into college, Caleb Moister. You see, Caleb was one of the, in some ways, like he's one of the first kids to like completely grow up through this. So for me, I'm like watching him like, ah, case study, you know, let's, let's see what he does. Do you know what he does? He's the man. He's at college, we caught up a week ago or so, He's the one that's babysitting all of his clown friends, right? Like, yeah, I'm the designated driver. Yeah, I'm the one who has to make sure they don't do this or that. Like standing solid. He's involved in a church. And before he left, he went around saying goodbye to five men who have invested in his life. People he said, I got to meet with this guy before I leave for the next phase. Folks, that's the goal. And can I tell you something? He started that trend for my kid, Levi. Last year, in school, Levi had to do this project, Invisible Heartstrings. He put five different people up there. He first put his friends, he then put his mom, mama's boy, he put his sisters. He put his eighth grandfather generations back. Pop-up Johan. No mention of dad. Do you see that last one up there? It's Caleb. I'll take that every time. (laughs) Not that, Caleb. The other one. (laughs) Folks, this is what we're doing. Hopefully I've invested in Caleb who is then investing in Levi and the chain continues. This is how we transfer to the next generation. So with this last slide, I want you to sit, I want you to process. It's easy to just be like, Oh, cool message and walk out of here. I'm hoping you can latch on to something that you can do, whether it's to, Oh, you, you all are amazing parents. Like those who are like, Hey, can you write a letter to my kid? I'm going to have a kid write a, a, a different adult write an encouraging letter to my kid as they're entering middle school. Amazing. I love that. There's so many good letters, uh, good ideas, or, hey, we're going to have our kids read through the Bible together, and at the end, they get a trip, a boat, something. Um, these are just ideas. This is free space to chat. Uh, teens Maybe it's a little awkward having me up here talking about you the whole time. You're kind of like, I don't know, Dan says yes. Wouldn't want to put you on the spot. So (laughs) if anything, all you teens need to walk away from today is this, knowing that this community here believes in you. Number two, knowing that you are super valued in this space. And number three, you are essential for us in what we do. Because without you, we're just an old bunch of old people who will be dead in 50 years. I'm ready for you guys to rise up, to put me in my place, and to take over, okay? And to follow Jesus in ways I could never imagine. So with that being said, you have five minutes. Discuss, process. The only thing you're not allowed to do is not pay attention to God in this moment. There you go.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.